You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mosaic Church Online. If this is your first time, of course, we hope it's not your last. Let's begin today with our scripture reading. It's going to be from Psalm 128. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children Peace be on Israel. And that's the reading of God's word. Again, welcome to Mosaic Church Online. It seems so crazy and it feels so good to say that this is our last week of meeting online only, apart from our guests in the room today. uh, Next week, as you may have heard, we will be reopening and hosting limited size gatherings for all those who register, as well as, of course, staying online permanently with you, as long as there is electricity and the internet. Uh, We are at the front end of a series called A Prayer For, where we're looking in depth at a number of psalms. These are, are prayer songs where we're told not just what to pray, but we're shown how to pray. Like as spiritual people, we learn how to connect our feelings, uh, our emotions, uh, our thoughts, our bodies, our experiences to God. And as we go, we're going to look at how we pray for ourselves, for our families, for our faith community, for our neighborhoods, for our city, and yes, for our nation. Now, if you're new here, you may not know that before Carrie and I and our four children moved back here to Austin, a pastor here at Mosaic, we, we lived for a couple of years in Nashville, Tennessee, and I liked it a lot. She liked it a little, and our kids are really too young to have too many memories of it. She's from the West Coast. She likes the beach, and she likes the sun. So three months of utter darkness, <laughs> outer darkness there in Nashville in that wintertime is really too much for her. Only three months sort of of warmth in the summer. I mean, that can really turn a California girl's blood pretty cold, pretty quick. Now, I tried to reason with her. I tried to get her to look on the bright side. I told her there were four true, unique seasons to appreciate about the Nashville climate. She should appreciate that. But after I gave her that same speech, like for the fifth time on a cold, dark February night, she, she finally looked at me and she said, seasons, I lived for 25 years in Southern California. Let me tell you, there's one season there. It's called perfect. <laughs> I don't need to hear about your seasons. And I thought, you know, what? she's got a point. And so we moved back to Texas where there are now nine and a half months of summer. It's real hot, so everybody's happy. But while our kids didn't bring back too many memories, we did bring back one memento from our time in Tennessee that still means a lot to us. While we lived there in Nashville, we had our fourth child. And therefore, we discovered we needed something larger in our kitchen around which to gather, to eat and have meals. So Carrie got on that Nashville's Craig's list and she found a local carpenter and hired him to make us a new, larger dining room table, which he did, which we picked up, which we put in the back of the minivan and which we still have to this day. 
The table that is, not the minivan, that thankfully has gone onto that great garage in the sky. But the table, we love the table. It's not, it's not fancy. It's not from a high-end catalog, but it is handmade. It's well-made, and we love it. And it's now in its fourth house in the last decade with us. And recently, I was scrolling through a bunch of photos on my phone, and I thought, you know what? We got a lot of pictures with that table in it, and it's true because over the years, We've hosted countless gatherings in our home. We've hosted uh, staff, church staff meetings, deacon team meetings, elder team meetings, like 1,764,000 community group meetings in our home, birthday parties, holiday meals, breakfast, lunch, dinners, was some of you perhaps the list goes on. And what I've come to see is that that table, as you might imagine, the table really isn't just a table. The table is where something larger, where something more important, something almost magical takes place. It's not just where the meals are served or where the crumbs are clean or anything like that. It's where something happens. It cuts across age lines, gender lines, racial lines, national lines. The table in our house, that table, is where that thing happens that everybody wants and what Psalm 128 celebrates, a place where family is formed. See, Psalm 128, it's a song prayer that celebrates the formation of family, and it's going to point us today, as we look at it, to how we do that, how we get that, how family comes about. So we're going to take a look at, in order today, number one, we're going to look at what family is. We're going to look at what family does, number two, and finally, how family can be what we long for it to be. What family is, what it does, and how it can be what we long for it to be. Let's go at number one and take a look at what family is and just begin, of course, by asking the question, well, what is family? You know, how do we define that? Singer-songwriter Drew Holcomb, he puts it like this in his humorous song called Family. He said this, he said, family, singing in the kitchen, running through the yard, going on vacation on the credit card. Family, on the way to the city, laughing in the rain. It ain't always pretty. It can drive you insane. And of course, he's having a bit of fun. That's his definition. But before I give you mine, because everybody gets super nervous about definitions about family, let me just put out one big disclaimer right here at the top. While most people's experience of family is biological, it doesn't always have to be. And while what you see most often in the Christian scriptures is family described as in a biological sense because it's trying to help the most people it can, family isn't always biological in the Bible either. Look at Deborah in the book of Judges where she's called a mother in Israel. She's like, she's like a mom to a whole nation. Look at, look at Paul who says of Timothy, he says, you're my true son, my true child in the faith. And then of course the New Testament talks over and over again about how the central metaphor of what it means to be connected to God is to be adopted as his children. So again, family, while most often biological, isn't always, and we'll see why that is in just a moment. So whether you're single, whether you're divorced, kids, no kids, there's still something in here for everybody today because I think we're all in search of what Psalm 128 is really after. So with all that in mind, let's just ask the question, what is family? Here's my best definition coming at you right here from Psalm 128. I'll put it like this. Family is the multi-generational source of belonging 
and blessing. Family is the multi-generational source of belonging and blessing. And you can see that right here from the final words of Psalm 128. As the writer here prays for you and prays for me and anyone who reads this psalm. He says in verse 5 and 6. He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. So you can see two things connected right here in this prayer song. There's multi-generational family, right? Your children's children. And then there's a word that appears four times in the six verses of this psalm. It's the word bless, blessed, the blessing. See, this psalm links over and over family and the blessing. Why? Well, because family is supposed to be the place where belonging happens through something called the blessing being given to one another, each member. And at first you may think, okay, the blessing, that is that like some nice thing like, like grandpa does at Christmas? You know, he kind of pulls the kids on the lap. Here's a candy cane, kids, you've been a good boy this year. You know, more nice, less naughty, you know. No, that's, that's not it. Well, you think, well, maybe this is not, you know, it's, it's less meaningful or less meaningless. It's more like some superstitious deal. Ancient people did in a primitive culture, but let me tell you, the blessing is neither. The blessing is actually a technical term for something used to describe something specific that shows up all over the pages and in the stories of the, the Hebrew scriptures. And let me give you one example. If you know the story of the Jewish patriarch Jacob, you know his story, his family story is all about this, what Psalm 128 is after. It's all about a family trying to hand down the blessing through generations, except Jacob's family is going about it all wrong. Jacob's family is like the opposite of Psalm 128. Jacob's family is like a family gone off the rails. There's a sibling rivalry at the center. There's two brothers, Jacob, Esau. There's, they're fighting over who gets the blessing. Jacob, Jacob, he literally dresses up as his brother as someone he's not to pretend to be something he's not to steal the blessing Esau's a spoiled womanizer who thinks he is owed the blessing the dad Isaac only wants to give the blessing to one son Esau the older the mother Rebecca conspires to get the blessing only for the younger son Jacob they're a mess they're like an ancient Near East version of that movie. Maybe you've seen it called Knives Out. Maybe you've seen that movie where the, the Thromby family fights over uh, uh, each other to get the blessing from the family patriarch, which in this case, the blessing is the old man's money. They're, they're technically family, but they don't really love each other. They literally try to poison one another to get it. That's not giving anything away, by the way. That's the first 10 minutes. But what were they all after in their own dysfunctional way? It's the blessing. It was true of Jacob's family. It's true of the Thromby family. And here's the thing. The longing for blessing is true of you. It's true of me. It's my family, it's your family. We're all after what Psalm 128 shows should be happening in family, the giving of the blessing. So what is that? Let's try to define that. What was, what is the blessing? I'll put it like this, try to sum it up. The blessing is definitional, celebratory, spiritual affirmation. 
definitional celebratory spiritual affirmation. The blessing was someone looking deeply into you who knew you intimately, celebrating the best of you, but defining you with some aim, defining you with strength, speaking that affirmation into the core of your being, then laboring with you to bring all of that about. It was the ultimate thing said to you by the ultimate person, the blessing was the gift of a lifetime. And I think, I think that far from being primitive, these Hebrew people, Jacob's family, they were on to something. Because look, look, and if you know the story, you'll remember these painful words spoken by Esau when he discovers that Jacob has stolen the blessing. It's all gone wrong. Look at what Esau says to his father. It says, when Esau heard his father's words, the blessing was gone, it was given away. He burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. Can you be that honest? Can we be that honest? Can we be that honest and just acknowledge that you wanna be blessed by your father, by your family? Receiving this, let me tell you, from your father, for example, from your family can shape you into the person you were always meant to be. And not getting this could twist you, crush you, warp you. Parents, grandparents, you're watching, you're here in a room. Can you, can you see the, uh, the power that you have to shape you know, the generation's life for the positive, the ability that we have to shape our children's future, the power we have to bless our children. Now, I've said this before as an example, but one of the things that uh, in our family that Carrie and I have done repeatedly over the years, and we've said to our children something like this at night before they go to bed, and of course, by now, our, our kids, they all, they all know the answers to these questions, I'll, I'll go to, to them and I'll ask them, I'll say, why does daddy love you? They'll say, because I'm your child. That's right, I'll ask them. Did you choose to be my child? No, daddy. Then who made you my child, I'll ask. You did, daddy. <laughs> so did you do anything to make me love you, I'll ask. No. So is there anything you can do to make me stop loving you? No, daddy. I'll say, that's right, and you are a blessing to my life and to this family. And I don't care how old they get, you can still see the effect of those words on them. Why? Because we all want what Psalm 128 shows us, that a family should be the multi-generational source of belonging and blessing. Number one, that's what family is. So let's ask now, well then, how do we do that? Like, what does family actually do then if it's supposed to be that? Number two, what does family do? Well, this one's pretty simple. Real family, if it's supposed to do it, just does it. Real family gives the blessing away. It conveys it. It passes it on. And so let me now, let me give you three words, uh, three concepts to try to hang your hat on that I think if we'll do this, we can give the blessing away to one another. Three words. How can we bless one another? First word, here's the word. It's the word wonder. We can wonder at each other. Uh, a name you may know, John Gottman. He's this well-respected researcher about marriage and he's a counselor. One of the most amazing things, it's actually changed my life, that I've heard from his research is this, I love this, this counterintuitive thought that it's the couple's who see each other the least accurately, who make it and are the happiest. And here's what he means. He did, he did a study where couples were asked to score themselves on a list of talents and character qualities. Then 
the question was flipped. And he asked each spouse to rate their partner on that same list, qualities and character. And almost without fail, here's what he found, each marriage that was considered to be the happiest was a marriage where their partner rated their spouse higher than the partner rated themselves. And he sums it up like this. I love this. He says, quote, some would say the solution to all marital difficulties is honesty. <laughs> Always saying what is on your mind because that is the truth. But in my practice, I have seen this become an excuse for disrespect and contempt. And these are the things that will cause ruptures rather than healing. True, people need to be able to express themselves freely to their partners, but this doesn't mean there is no room for tact And all God's people said, amen. And what may feel honest at one moment may feel irrelevant at another. Flattery, if that means complimenting your partner free, frequently, showing your affection regularly in symbolic or romantic ways, and bragging about him or her to others, will get you everywhere. I don't mean saying things that aren't ever true, but focusing on the positive and building up credit in that emotional bank account makes a huge difference in how well your relationship will weather rockier times. It's true in your marriage family, right? It's true in your friends that are family, and it's true in church family. All this is true. So go ahead, let me tell you, in a way, you got permission, lie to your spouse today. Just lie to them. Tell them they are the most beautiful, most handsome person in the world. You say that's not statistically possible. I'm not talking about reality. <laughs> I'm talking about how we create family. We bless one another when we wonder at one another. That's number one. Number two, here's a second word that helps us bless one another. It's the word embrace. Embrace, and though in the middle of, the, of a pandemic, I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about a different kind of embrace, and here's what I mean. I've got a friend who's a, a missionary in Madrid, Spain, but he's not from Spain. Uh, he's actually Panamanian, and he felt called to move to Spain and to plant a church there. But when he got to Spain, he found out that though both nations speak Spanish as their official language, how each nation speaks Spanish is a little different. And he found out to really minister to people in a new culture, a new context, he'd have to change his accent. He found out that some of the Spanish people there really looked down on how he spoke, a Panamanian man. One day he was in a restaurant and he ordered acelgas, which are beets. And the waiter said, what did you say? And he said, acelgas. What did you say? The waiter asked again. Acelgas, my friend insisted. They are called acelgas, you stupid foreigner, the waiter said. And until you can learn to pronounce it correctly, don't ever come back here. Of course, my friend's not only mortified, but he's humiliated and angry. He said, I'm not going to change how I speak, he thought. And then one day in prayer, he said the Holy Spirit came to him and asked him, will you change your accent for them to love them? And my friend, to his shame, said, no, <laughs> not going to do it. I'm not changing for them, their pride, their arrogance, superiority. But then he said, the Holy Spirit said to him, will you change your accent for me? And he said, yes, and he did. And he's planted three churches since there, since then. What was, being, what was he being asked to do? To embrace a people, embrace something different about a different kind of people. And through the sacrifice of the self, bless those around him. So let me ask you, 
What about you and your immediate family today? Uh, What about you? Uh, What are you willing perhaps to give or to change up for the sake of embracing another? And let me just apply this to us as a local church. What about you today as a part of a a multi-ethnic church family? Are you willing to give up maybe that thing from your culture to embrace a people from another culture? Let me just personalize this for a moment. I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I'll, I'll say this for me. When I became a Christian, I became willing, it seemed like in a heartbeat, to give up things you may perceive that are from a culture, from people who look like me, stuff like my flags, my monuments, my symbols, again, from what you might think are my culture. And here's why. It's because as far as I can remember, as Christians, we've preached for 2,000 years that there's only one symbol that ultimately defines us anyway. It's a symbol that calls us to die to self and culture. It's called the cross. The cross called the first century Jews to die to their national symbols of the ark and the Torah and the temple to put Christ first. And the cross called the Greeks and the Romans to die to their national symbols of uh, idols and philosophy to embrace a multi-ethnic people in the middle of the Roman Empire. Let me tell you, when, when you're carrying a cross, you don't have a lot of room to carry anything else. It's like my missionary friend in Spain found out. It's at the cross where we can truly begin to embrace one another, begin to bless one another, begin to form a kind spiritual family. Third word, first, wonder, then embrace. Now third word, celebrate, celebrate. Here it is, I love this, I love this. Uh, If we believe, if we believe what the apostle Paul says, and we believe that God is bringing you to glory and me to glory. Because you believe that, right? You can say amen. Yes, I believe that, Morgan. About you, I believe that about you. I've got a crazy thought. Why don't we then celebrate each other now like we're going to celebrate each other then? I ought to celebrate you as glorious now because I know that you're going to be glorious then. In essence, then, church and family is kind of like, here's the metaphor, like a sanctified bachelorette party. Never been to one, I hear they're nice, but no. What do the friends of the bride-to-be say to her the night before she walks down that aisle? They tell her, you are gonna be the most beautiful bride there ever was. I can't wait to see you in that dress. Girl, your makeup and hair are gonna be so on point, your man is gonna straight pass out when he sees you. What are they doing? They're celebrating her now in light of her future. And when they do, her heart experiences, here's the word, a foretaste of the, what the consummation with her groom is going to be like. She hadn't gotten there yet, but she will. She's not dressed up yet, but she will be. All her flaws haven't been hidden, but soon they will be. That is our future, church. Let me tell you, something the Bible calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast, right? It's a celebration. Theologians actually use a wedding night word for it. They call it the consummation, where everything comes together in Jesus. And so, so, what I believe the church ought to be, and in a smaller way, your family ought to be, what I pray we can be is, as the old hymn puts it, a foretaste of glory divine for the world around us as we celebrate each other now in light of who we will be then. Because family is the multi-generational source of belonging and blessing. But family does. We just give that away. So let's ask now in the end, all right, how can we do that? Where do we get the power now to live all this out? Number three, let's ask, how can family actually be 
what we long for it to be. What's the key to the whole thing? Russian author Leo Tolstoy in his, his novel Anna Karenina, he famously wrote this line. You probably have heard it. He said, quote, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. In Psalm 128, it says, I think the same thing here. It says there's a, there's a key, there's an, a likeness to where happy family starts. And here it is, right? Here's the key. It starts in verse one. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. What does this mean? Well, this phrase, the fear of the Lord, it means something specific. It's something used throughout the Bible uh, to refer to how a person, to how you and I respond to the authority of God, to the rule of God, to the word of God as authoritative over our lives. Psalm 128 is saying that happy families are all alike in this way. They come about by putting God and his word first. And this is crucial to grasp. And so I want, I want to press this on you for just a moment wherever you are. Without seeing God and his word as authoritative over you and your family, without walking, not, not afraid of God, but in the fear of God, in the awe of God, in the reverence of God, putting him first in your life, putting him first in your heart, in the heart of your family, if you don't do that, you'll never actually get the word of blessing. Your heart and your family's heart is after. And here's why. For those of you today, maybe you're personally seeking a relationship with God. Think about this. If you reject God's word to you, if you think his word at parts isn't true, if you reject out of hand what you don't understand, instead of asking, well, why is that in there? Then when you go to God for comfort, how can you be sure he'll give it to you? If you go to him for love, how can you know he's loving? If you go to him for blessing, how do you know he can bless you? If you think it's not true over here, how can the, the love part be true over there? A person's only as trustworthy as their word. And if God's word isn't true here, it's not true there. And second, rejecting this, rejecting the fear of the Lord doesn't just hurt us personally. It hurts us culturally. I mean, look around our culture right now. We aren't blessing each other, are we? We're not. We can't speak well of others. We don't look in wonder at anyone. We can't celebrate anything. Every single thing is politicized because we have not, at a deep level, in our heart of hearts, first been spoken over and blessed and affirmed by God first. And when you don't have this at the center of you, you either aren't able to give this away to anyone else or, or you run around like Jacob. You're, you're dressing up and you're pretending to be so someone and something you're not to fill that hole on the inside. So here's, here's our dilemma. We know we need this. We need this blessing desperately. We all cry out in some way like Esau, bless me too, Father. We want that word of blessing spoken over us. And yet we push away the very one who wants to speak that word of ultimate blessing over us above and beyond what any human can give. What can bridge that gap? What can solve that dilemma? I think it's seeing this. 
many years after Jacob, his family, it was someone else who became what he was not. Jesus Christ, the son of God. He came to this earth. He entered into our broken human family. He became human like Jacob. He became something he was not. He dressed himself up as us, except with this stunning and crucial twist, not to earn a blessing, not to steal a blessing, but to give away the blessing that was rightfully his as the firstborn son. Oh, but on the cross, He was stripped of all his clothes, all his honor. He wore shame for all us Jacobs, all us pretenders and posers. And he was treated not with the honor that was his, but he was cast out, driven away from the human family. As he hung dying, you know this, he cried out for his father's approval, for his father's blessing, and found that it had vanished. And he died in agony alone. Why? Why did he do this? Galatians 3, 13, and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that, look at this, that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us. Look at that. So, so what? Yeah, the blessing. The blessing could come to you and to you and to you and to you and to you so that you could be healed by receiving it. You and I could become a kind, a new family. See, coming under, let me tell you, the loving authority of Jesus Christ brings the ultimate word of blessing. Psalm 128 says we all want to hear. It connects us to God the Father who says this, like he said to his son Jesus, my beloved child, in whom I'm well pleased. So let me now, as we close, in that same vein, as a kind of a father too, let me speak this over you in light of all of that. What you're about to hear is only an echo, but I think it's a good echo. Let me tell you, you are a blessing. You are beloved. You are loved, you're wanted, you belong here. And when these doors reopen next week, every single person who, yes, registers and gets in on time and then walks through these doors is wanted. For those of you who aren't able to make it, you're at home, I tell you, you're, you're wanted too. We want to see you. We want to wonder at you, embrace you, celebrate you, and most importantly, help you to walk in the fear of the Lord. See your, your family learn to bless and to be blessed. And maybe, maybe even find a new kind of family, a multi-generational one full of moms and dads and aunties and uncles and tios and tias and a bunch of brothers and sisters that you never even knew that you, you could have. But now, now you got Let me tell you, all this, all this is ours. It's in the gospel. It's for you today. Let me pray for you. And then Pastor Corey, yes, will come up and speak (laughs) the blessing. Lord, we just thank you for this today. Psalm 128 points us to. We can have this. Your desire for us is to be a part of a family. Even if our mothers and fathers forsake us, as the psalmist said, you'll take us in. We can be part of your new family with new blood, new kind of covenant. It's ours through Jesus. Lord, I'm praying today for every, yeah, every family here in this. Well, they would learn to bless and to be blessed by those in their lives. Help us to do this too as a church family. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, 
please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.